Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, April 26th, we're studying 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. When we suffer as Christians, we shouldn't find that unusual or strange. Instead, St. Peter calls us to rejoice in our sufferings for the sake of Christ, entrusting our lives into the hands of our faithful Creator. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Mark Bars. Pastor Bars serves at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Bars, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Great to be with you, Pastor Apple. Good morning to you. Good morning to our listeners. And if I may, I'm going to sneak in a happy birthday to my sister, Joanna, in Danville, Illinois. Happy birthday, Joe. Fantastic. God be praised for his gift of life. Pastor Bars, we are in First Peter chapter 4. We had a little bit of a break in the regular series with Sherathon at the end of last week. Bring us back up to speed with context in First Peter as we prepare to look at these verses in chapter 4. Well, I assume that a number of those who are listening to this study today have listened to the previous sessions on Peter, but you're right, there has been a break since last Wednesday. And to frame Peter, it's one of the later epistles in the, in the life of the New Testament, the story of the New Testament, the post-Pentecost church. So Peter writes in the late 60s AD, shortly before his martyrdom in Rome in AD 68. He is in Rome as a prisoner. He writes to a dispersed church. He calls them the dispersion, the scattered church across mostly Asia Minor, modern-day modern day Turkey. I find it intriguing that so much of this seems at least semi-autobiographical as he relates his own journey to the life of the church. As, as, we, as we read at the end of the Gospel of John, when, when Peter is recommissioned, he is told to feed my sheep. And, and that's what Peter does in these letters. He feeds the sheep, he feeds the flock, he gives them encouragement in a challenging time, a time of increasing persecution, increasing trials. He gives them instruction and and walks with them as they will face, as we're going to read in just a little while, fiery trial or ordeal because of their witness for Christ. Let's go ahead and jump right into the text because we have a, a bit longer of a section than some of our others, and there really is a lot here. So again, we're in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler, Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And 
if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That is our text for today, 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 19. Pastor Bars, Peter begins this section with a, a word, beloved, do not be surprised. He's he's talked about that before. He called them beloved back in chapter two, which I, I just, I love because as we said earlier, he, he maybe didn't know these Christians personally. These, these are Christians that perhaps he had never actually ministered to. There's even a suggestion I read that perhaps Paul actually asked Peter to write this epistle while he was off in Spain. In any case, the fact that he calls them beloved is a word that I just don't, I don't want to skip over it too quickly because it, you, you see really what, what Peter was talking about in the previous text, the, the love that Christians have for each other, even the hospitality that we show to each other as Christians. Exactly. I, I don't want to skip over it either. I, I find it intriguing that the New Testament, uh, particularly the book of Acts, gives us a variety of names for those who are followers of Christ. Certainly disciples, come follow me, as Jesus calls the original 12 and a larger group of disciples. We, we read early in the book of Acts, they're called brothers or the brethren. Uh, they are called saints by Paul in a couple of his letters. An interesting phrase in, in the book of Acts, those of the way, those who are followers of the way. And we're going to hear one other label, and I'll save that for right now, one other label that is given uniquely uh, in this letter besides in the book of Acts. But beloved is right to, to call them those who are, first of all, reflecting John's letter, loved by God, and so we love each other. We love because he first loved us. We love God because he loved us first, and we love the church. The church has this love for each other. What a perfect way. What a perfect way. And, and I think a calming, settling way to introduce, to introduce something that is very hard. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you not if it comes upon you. There there's, seems to be a, an emphasis here that is changing from an earlier focus on, yes, it is, it is a challenge to be a follower of Christ, to be one of the, the disciples in the first century, but it's very likely that the persecution is intensifying. It's very clear that Peter and Paul both are, are res- under that under that persecution. Some would suggest that what is happening in Rome is now spilling out into the provinces. Emperor Nero has declared, or Christianity has already been declared, a religio illicita, an illegal and illicit religion. But now the authorities in the provinces, Asia Minor, part of the greater Roman Empire, are going to are going to suffer the same things that have happened nearer to Rome. And do not be surprised. It's it's also one of those one of those little minor things that that the phrasing do not be surprised could the older translations I think would maybe say do not think it strange because it's the same root word or the same root word at the end, do not think it strange that this would be happening to you. You should even expect it. And we can go back to the Beatitudes. We can go back to Jesus speaking about those who are who are persecuted and to know that that you also blessed are those blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you in Matthew 
in Matthew chapter 5, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What company what company they are given, and, and we are given, modern Christians too. We, we do need to be careful, and I know you've said this many times in, in these studies as you've shared with so many people over, over many months, is that it's too easy for us to leap quickly and say, well, what does this mean to me, or what does this say now? But we always need to start with the context of what does the text say in its time? What does it say to the church then? What does it say to the church now? Hmm. So and it is giving going, us the going. same encouragement. Please. No, that's fine. I mean, I think a couple of thoughts as, as you as you started there with the the contrast that's there between beloved and then fiery trials. You know, if I'm the one loved by God, why am I having these fiery trials? That that's a and I think so. Starting with the word beloved is is a beautiful way to start here because it reminds you as you suffer these fiery trials, you are the the one loved by God. And then that connection to to the other beloved of God, the the prophets who were before you, they suffered these same things, and and don't be surprised, don't think it's strange. I think, and and this is not to get too far afield on this one, but I do think that this is something that our world certainly has forgotten that we think it's strange when we suffer. And here I'm speaking more broadly in suffering, not just suffering particularly for the sake of a Christian, but the fact that bad stuff happens. It seems we live in a world that's surprised when bad stuff happens. We, we've built ourselves an illusion, I think, that when something like a pandemic happens, we think it's, oh gosh, I can't believe this is, is happening to me. And well, maybe we shouldn't be so surprised. And I think then more specifically to the church, sometimes we, we have forgotten this, that we suffer, people don't like us when we're Christian, and we're, we're well, that that's weird. And Peter says, no, you, you should expect it. I think it's it's a helpful word for us today without forgetting what it was for Peter's readers in the in the early in the late sixties. Jesus called his disciples to deny themselves and to take up his cross and follow. And and is it is it comfortable to carry a heavy wooden beam? It was not as as Christ staggered towards Golgotha. And the crossbeam was given to Simon of Cyrene and, and lifted from his back. Luther uses uses that expression in a sermon on this on this very text when he says that that God the Father lays the holy cross on our backs to strengthen us and to make powerful make faith powerful in us. We we would consider it a burden that we would want to get rid of as quickly as possible and. This is not strange that this is happening. This is the journey. This is, this is the life of those who are called to be in Christ. And we are even given to share Christ's sufferings, to share Christ's sufferings in verse 13. Interesting choice of a, of a, a verbal form there. It, it's the word that I think many of our hearers uh, would would understand from some other contexts. It's the word koinonia is is what's behind it. I always think of Acts chapter 242 when I hear that word because they continued in the apostles' teaching in the koinonia, in the fellowship, in the breaking of the bread, and in the prayers. So it is this oneness, but how interesting that it becomes a verb that you fellowship Christ's sufferings. Mm -hmm. You as it's translated, sometimes you participate not in a 
not in a, a saving way, not that we need to think in any way that, that we would go to the cross and, and give our own lives away. That is, that is not needed and it would not be helpful because we are, we are sinful people. We, we dare not even think that we could die for ourselves, much less, much less for anyone. But to fellowship, to participate, to share in Christ's sufferings, to, as Paul will, will tell the church in Romans chapter 6, words that we have heard fairly recently over the Easter over the Easter celebration. I'm sure that in Christ we are we are buried we die with Christ we are buried with Christ mm. we are raised with Christ. All of this through our baptism. How what is it to share in the sufferings of Christ? I think it means to be carried to the font to to have water poured on us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Just the previous chapter, Peter was talking about baptism. I, I don't know that this is an explicit expression of that, but it to share in the sufferings of Christ is to be baptized into the death and the resurrection of Christ. One thing you mentioned in the introduction that I want to bring out here before we get too far, you mentioned that, that this letter often has an autobiographical feel. It, these first couple of verses, particularly verse 12, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, you know, rejoice as you're sharing in Christ's sufferings. I've I've remarked before, I think it was back in, in chapter two, where it, you get the feeling that, that Peter may be reflecting on his trial, quite literally when Jesus was on trial during his passion, Peter's on trial at the same time and where he denies him. And I wonder if, if maybe there's a bit of that in the background here as well. The Spirit of God has given has given Peter the the words and the phrases and and the writing of this letter. But he always uses the Holy Spirit always uses the person uh, the, in each of the Gospels, particularly that. But but here is his letter, his personal letter, his personal letter to the church. Interesting that as you mentioned. Peter being on trial, it was a fiery trial. He was at the trying to warm himself at the fire in the courtyard of the high priest, and and to deny to deny three times, not to deny once. I mean, it will it will happen later on to be insulted for the name of Christ, to even to even say, I don't know who you're talking about. I I, I don't even know that man, and to to say so with a curse, and yet Jesus will so carefully, so wonderfully, so lovingly call him back three times, recommissioning him, forgiving him, uh, giving him the privilege of, of still being one of the great servants of the church. When he talks about sharing in Christ's sufferings, or, or as you said, fellowshipping in Christ's sufferings, that word koinonia, uh, another place where, where people may have encountered it would be in the the threefold emphasis that the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod has had for many years now, witness, mercy, and life together. That life together is koinonia, that, that part of our life together with Christ is that we share in his sufferings. And and it's it seems like a bit of a contrast to us. What do I do when I'm suffering? I rejoice. And this is something that the New Testament picks up in many places. Our Lord picks up, of course, as well. What does it look like? What does it mean to rejoice as we share in Christ's sufferings? That too is strange. It is strange not only to the world, but it is strange It is strange to the body of Christ. We, we may think that we accept suffering and do so in some stoic way, mm-hmm. that, that we just have to show that, that we have some kind of fortitude, physical, emotional, spiritual fortitude that we can deal with this. 
but that this that this becomes joy. Just just a couple of Sundays ago, this verse was in was in the Psalm 30, which was part of the intro at Psalmody. It says, "You turned my mourning into dancing." From from Psalm 30, I I found that phrase delightful. That that only God can turn mourning into dancing. Only only our Lord can sustain us in such a way that they would, we would be bold to rejoice even in our sufferings. And, and I will take it back to our baptism once more, Pastor Apple, that, that this is who we are and whose we are. This is, this is being connected to Christ himself, who, whose suffering for us won our salvation, but whose, whose victory for us, whose Easter morning empty tomb uh, rolled the stone away to, to show that he is gone and that the grave is empty and that he is victorious. God's people do do rejoice, yet we rejoice still as we carry this cross, as mm. as Luther says, as this holy cross is laid across, is laid upon our shoulders. So so we rejoice in, in who we are and that we are given the privilege of walking with Christ on this journey, on this journey of faith, on this journey of discipleship, on this journey that even though there is suffering now, there is rejoicing now, there will be judgment later and there will be greater joy because the phrase that he uses there in verse 13, that you may rejoice and be glad or be overjoyed. Mm. It's the same word that he used earlier in chapter one with joy that is inexpressible, that only God can do this. What is what is strange and what is yet wonderful becomes wonderfully strange for for the people of God. Hmm. Uh, pastor Pastor Herb Keastman, who's a retired pastor in our our circuit, has a, a way of of talking that I've always found strange. Until now, I think he, he he will say suffering is good, and then he says extreme suffering is extremely good. And it's that second part that it's always kind of like I'm not sure, Pastor Keastman, but I I think I think he, he's thinking along here with Peter. You know, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. That you know, I I suffer a little, and and that reminds me of the one to whom I'm connected in holy baptism. And so I rejoice because I've seen that. And as the suffering intensifies, my joy actually intensifies because it, it continues to show me all the more how connected I am to Christ. Not that I I somehow have some sort of strange desire to be hurt, but rather that I, I rejoice to know I am connected to Christ. And, and that does bring me even greater joy. And I'm, I'm reminded of, the, the experience of the apostles in the book of Acts, how repeatedly they preach the name of Christ, they get arrested for it, they get reprimanded for it, they suffer, and then they rejoice, and then they go back and do the exact same thing that got them arrested in the first place. And it, I mean, it's like Peter and, and John and the other apostles, they lived out that, that statement that Peter wrote there. We have just heard some of those, at least those who are listening, who are following the three-year lectionary series. We're in series B right now with the Gospel of Mark as the primary gospel. But the last couple of Sundays on April 18th, leading up to the reference that you just pointed to from Acts chapter 5, in Acts chapter 3, it really does pick up verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, and, and Peter speaks about uh, by faith in his name, this, this lame man has become strong. And 
by faith in his name. And then in Acts chapter 4, this was on Sunday the, the 25th, just, just, just yesterday. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the name that when the apostles are arrested in Acts chapter 5, they're arrested and imprisoned. But when they leave and when they are set free, they rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And the name is shorthand, isn't it? It's shorthand for so much. When it is when it is the name of Christ, just as the name Yahweh in the Old Testament is shorthand for, for all that he is and, and all that, that that great God has done and has promised and carries out. But the name of Christ, the, the name that is our salvation, the name that is our righteousness, we'll come back to that in a little while yet this morning. But But this is the name. So to be insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Once more, back to the Beatitudes, blessed are those who who are persecuted for, for me and for your relationship with me, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. There, there is a Trinitarian hint here, or maybe even more than a hint. Uh, the spirit, the Holy Spirit of glory, Jesus says in in John chapter 16, that this is the promise. And the spirit of truth comes, he will glorify me. And then it is the spirit of, of God. The spirit sent proceeds from the Father and the Son, as we say, as we say in the Nicene Creed. So it's it's subtle, but but there is clearly a Trinitarian focus here at the end of verse 14. The the other thing that I, I think stands out in verse 14 is the contrast that Peter has. On the one hand, the world is insulting me for the name of Christ. But what's happening in a heavenly perspective? Well, he, he talks about, and this is the Trinitarian aspect you're talking about, but he specifically calls him the spirit of glory. That that while I am being insulted for the sake of Christ by the world, it is I still have the glory of God. In Christ, there's there's a contrast there. I'm reminded. I think it's in Hebrews chapter 11 where where the writer of Hebrews talks about Moses who who was willing to be insulted or bear the reproach of Christ rather than have all the riches of Egypt. And this is, I mean, this is something that's been true for the the people of God throughout history. That when the world insults them, they receive it with this joy because they know they have these eternal riches, this eternal glory that's given by the Holy Spirit through Christ. Hebrews chapter 11, yes, Moses, the reproach of Christ was greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward, not a monetary reward. I mean, the wealth of Egypt would have been a hugely, a huge amount when you can see the treasures that are still recovered and shown in museums. But to be known in Christ and the, and the reward of, of life in him, and who else in the Old Testament? You're right, the, the letter to the Hebrews chapter 11, but but I think I think of Joseph, Joseph in Egypt, who who would not sin against would not sin against God. This is not just a sin against against uh, his his landlord or his his uh, benefactor there, Potiphar, but but to sin against God. And and I think too I think of too of Daniel. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think of those who were faithful to their identity to the God who had who had claimed them and called them and, and made them his own and made them his own people for treasures that that as the world sees it are are, are nothing and, and and they are nothing as the world sees it that but are of greater greater worth than any silver or any gold or any bitcoins which are now which are now becoming all the rage but 
such great treasures. These are ours in Christ. Mm. Bringing up Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego there in in Babylon reminds me of a theme that I haven't really thought too much about recently, but it's here in 1 Peter. He addresses his readers as the elect exiles. And I mean, that's been something that Peter's been going with for in many different places about the idea that we live as Christians as exiles here. Our home is elsewhere. That fits in with, with what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 11 as well. And, and so what should we expect as we live as exiles? Well, those who, who do not have the same home as us, they're going to insult us. They're going to, to give us that reproach. And, and here again, with this, you know, remember where your true blessing lies. What does it mean to be blessed? It is to have that, that heavenly homeland. And even, you know, thinking about the beatitude language that Peter pulls in here, the very first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I mean, I think that that fits in very well with the, the whole shape of Peter's argument here. That, that why are you blessed? Ultimately, to take it back to his beginning, it's because you have a different home. That's where you live. Don't forget that. And and let this, this insult, this reproach, this suffering that you bear here, let that be a reminder of of your true home, which is, is with Christ in the resurrection of the dead. There is suffering now. We, we, can't, we can't imagine what the early church went through we can't imagine, I can't imagine, I'll say this for myself, I can't imagine what our brothers and sisters in Christ in many parts of the world, I, I, have, I have with me here as I, as I visit with you, I'll show it to you because we're on, we're on FaceTime and you can see it. It's a map of, of much of the world and it has 50 countries where it is most difficult to be a Christian. And we know some of these stories. We hear some of them. We know of people who are imprisoned, who are who are faithful in North Korea or in Somalia or in Yemen or in Iran or in India and in so many other countries where is high levels of persecution. And and yet what treasure they know they have, what treasure they are given in Christ, what treasure they are they are promised. When his glory is when revealed, Jesus says in Matthew 25, when the Son of Man returns in all his glory with all the angels, all his angels around him, when his glory is revealed, what we thought was was valuable now, what we thought was worth something at this point was was proven to be even even the smallest, the pittance, the pittance that it that it might uh, be considered certainly by the world, but even even for Christians, the joy that will be revealed, the glory that will be revealed to us, rejoicing now for those who follow Christ, but this greater joy, this overjoy, this inexpressible joy that is promised to the church. And we're going to keep talking about that joy that is ours in Christ here on Sharper Iron. On the other side of the break, you'll listen to Sharper Iron on KFUO, talking about 1 Peter chapter 4 with Pastor Mark Bars. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, April 26th. We're studying 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19 with Pastor Mark Bars. He serves at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Bars, prior to the break, we were looking at the first couple verses of our text here in 1 Peter chapter 4, that those who are insulted for the name of Christ, they are actually blessed because they have the spirit of glory, the spirit of God who rests upon them. They share in Christ's sufferings. Thinking about Peter's life again, it, it seems that Peter has taken to heart the words that Jesus spoke to him after Peter's confession of Christ, and then when Jesus predicted his his own uh, suffering, death, resurrection. Peter said, "No, no, that's not going to happen." And and Jesus said to Peter, "You know, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man." As Peter talks about sharing in Christ's sufferings, and then the glory of God as well, it seems that he's taken that to heart. Peter has learned, hasn't he? Peter has has learned so much, and and that and that he is still used chosen and used and and given great privilege to to be one who uh, we could we could go a lot of different places with peter but but cornelius and say mm-hmm. well lord i've never eaten unkosher food before and he says cornelius needs to hear the gospel so so go to this man but but going back to the gospels that uh, the synoptic gospels matthew mark and luke include these series of passion predictions. And, and Jesus is very explicit in them. Even though they're spoken seemingly just to the core 12, and, and they need to understand what his mission is, what he is, where he is going and where he must go, that he uses that form even sometimes, doesn't he? The, the Son of Man must. It's this divine imperative of, of what he must do. And the disciples are are at best confused, but there, there Peter says, no, 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 don't, don't let this happen to you. This, this mustn't happen to you. And how does Jesus respond? He, he rebukes, he rebukes Peter by actually, by actually calling him Satan, because as, as I've often understood this, this is one of those temptations. Jesus is tempted in every way, just as we are, but the temptations of Satan to, to turn stones into bread, to jump from the pinnacle of the temple, or to bow down, those those were really faced by our Lord. Those, those tempted him. And and so when, when Peter speaks, don't do this, it's it's Satan once more saying, there's got to be another way out. There's, a, there's another way to approach this. So when Peter recalls that, when the Spirit of God is working in him, with him, through him, to write these letters to the church, he, he certainly is saying, he certainly is saying our Lord's sufferings had to happen. The, the must was was done and the must was completed and, and it is finished. Not only the suffering of not only the suffering of Christ, but but the resurrection victory of Christ. We're still in that Easter season. We're still saying, Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. 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 
Peter, as he continues, he he has a bit of a contrast here. He's been talking about suffering, not being surprised for it, how you share in Christ's sufferings, being insulted and so being blessed. But he adds in verse 15, he says, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. And then he's going to follow that up with how you should suffer and, and how to respond. What What's going on there in verse 15? Well, first of all, it, it seems to me that, that Peter is taking this and making it very concrete. Hmm. He's, he's taking an abstract thing, you know, what does it mean to suffer and even to, to fellowship with the sufferings of Christ? And, and he uses contrast with, with realities that, that anyone would know, not only, not only Christians. Don't suffer as, as would be appropriate suffering because you murdered someone and you deserve to suffer because of that. You deserve to be executed. The the, the thief on the cross, the conversations of the two on the cross on opposite sides of Jesus, speaking speaking to each other, a murderer or a thief or an evildoer, a doer of bad. That that's mm. evildoer almost makes it sound a little it's just an a doer of bad things. Mm. That's that, that can be a lot of different things, and other places in the epistles will will be much more explicit naming naming some of those things. And then there's this odd phrase or as a meddler. Uh, the New, New American Standard Version, I think, is helpful. It adds, it, it adds one other word, a troublesome meddler. Hmm. Uh, a meddler, somebody who, who maybe puts his nose where it doesn't need to be. But inside this word is the word episkopos. It's, it's the bishop word that gets used later in the New Testament. And so it's almost as though you assert yourself to take uh, responsibility mm-hmm. or to get involved with things you shouldn't, uh, perhaps an agitator or an inciter. Well, the first two are clearly criminal acts. An evildoer, again, that could be broadly seen. This one seems to be more of just being a a, a troublemaker. Don't suffer for those reasons. And and will the church even be upset internally by those who cause divisions within the church then and now? Yes. But, but, but these are ways that, that the world would see that people deserve to suffer. Set those aside, Peter says. Set those aside. Don't suffer for those reasons, but suffer as a Christian. Now, this is the third time and only three times, some people are always surprised at this when I when I ask people or oh, the youth or, or adults or whatever it might be, how many times is the word Christian in the Bible? You know, they might say, I don't know, is it? Maybe because they're not sure if that's the answer. But then they'll say, oh, two dozen or so, three times, mm-hmm. twice in the book of Acts, when they're told that in Antioch, they are first called Christians. And then Agrippa, King Agrippa, when he's having this conversation with Paul, you want to persuade me to be a Christian in such a short amount of time? It, it is true that the label is given to the followers of Christ. That's earlier when we were saying beloved and disciples and saints and followers of the way, different names for the early church. It is given to them. It is not chosen for them. It is, it is not uncommon to be called, and, and I'll just grab one out there, Marxists those who are followers of of Karl Marx i mean to be labeled as such so so it's not it's not a strange thing here we go that word again but to to be labeled from from the person that you would that you would follow and yet the church will 
quite soon in the very next century begin using that. This is our identity. This is who we are. So to suffer as a Christian, to suffer as one who has who has been baptized into Christ, who, who follows Christ, who says, as Thomas did, we heard that in our Easter readings, uh, my Lord and my God, and, and confesses his faith in the, risen, in the risen Christ. Let him not be ashamed. Uh, wonderful verse. We've been talking about Hebrews more than I expected, more than I expected this morning, but, <laughs> but that wonderful verse that we hear in the letter to the Hebrews that, that he is not ashamed to call us his brothers, that Christ is not ashamed to call us his own brothers. That's in Hebrews chapter two. What a, what a marvelous, what a marvelous truth that the one who is not ashamed to call you and me as, as feeble and fickle as we are and, and calls us his brothers to not be ashamed of being identified with Christ and to bear the name of Christian. But let him glorify God in that name, uh, in that name, in uh, that, that pronoun, that it, in this name. I think it, it just not just sounds better. I think, it's, I think it's, it's stronger, this name. To be a Christian is to be known by the name, by the name of Christ. I, I, one, of our, one of our members years ago here at Crown of Life was actually a was actually uh, an official spy in East Germany. This is wow. this is right when the right when the the wall was opening up, but it was still. I mean, it was all kinds of things going on, and he ended up he ended up watching maneuvers for the Russian and and East German army forces at night. His his uh his jeep got stuck. His driver got the jeep stuck. He had to go into a town in East Germany and find a tractor to pull them out. It's a great story. Oh, and, and he, and he finally says, somebody points him there. He's, he's got an American flag on his uniform. So he's not, an, so that he wouldn't be arrested as a spy. And he, and he goes into this home and there's a Christmas tree in it. And he says in German, he says, are you a Christian? And the older woman says, yes, it's her son who was in charge of the, the tractors in the town. And she got him a tractor and they got, they got pulled out of the mud and, and, went on, and went on their way. But to be a Christian, to, to make that sign that at least there's no biblical record of it. But when one person scratches in the sand, one curved arc and the other one completes the arc to make a fish and say, I know that you and I exist Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Savior, we are in the body of Christ together. To glorify God in bearing, in bearing this name, to be those, to those who are called brothers by Christ, who is not ashamed to call us his brothers and his sisters, to call us his own, and, and to confess his name, as we do, as we do in our lives. Hmm. I mean, that, that thought of not being ashamed, that's that's in Paul too, and and of course it, it comes from our Lord as well. I mean, but from Paul, Romans one sixteen comes to mind. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God, and and I think you know that as you were talking about the use of the word Christian in the New Testament and how it only shows up the three times, right here particularly it of course it does because the Holy Spirit inspired this, but it fits so perfectly when you think about what it means to as that word koinonia again, that we share in Christ, we actually bear his name. He is Christ. I am Christian. And to not be ashamed of that, I mean, it reminds me of, again, of Paul, this time in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where he talks about that, you know, Jews seek sign, 
Yeah, Jews seek signs, Greeks seek wisdom. We preach Christ crucified, which would be a stumbling block, which, I mean, that's a theme that Peter's picked up already. But I'm, I'm not going to be ashamed of that because I know that, that it is those sufferings of Christ, that's what actually won my salvation. And so I'm not going to be ashamed of it, whether it is bearing the name Christian in publicly and then you know in the way that i live that's been a big theme for for peter throughout this epistle and it's coming back up again you know but and i'm not going to be ashamed when i suffer for christ i'm not going to run away from that because i'm reminded of again what he did for me in his suffering and how he connected me to that in the gift of baptism why would i be ashamed of that rather i'm going to give god glory in all of that because it, it's all pointing me back to what Christ did for my salvation. This is just a marvelous text. And it's and it's Peter telling his own story again, yeah. isn't it? The one who was ashamed, who who said, you talk like a Galilean. You were with that guy, weren't you? I, I don't even know who you're talking about. I, I don't I don't know. Denying it, denying it with an oath. And and to uh, what he says to the church, he's really saying to himself that mm. that this is this is who I am. And, and to say it with, with boldness, and, and it will mean his death. It, it, will mean, it will mean his execution by the Romans. What, what, a profound, what a profound way for him to convey this truth to the church still today, to, to again, brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, that, that sheet of 50 countries where it, is, where it is difficult, and that's even an understatement, where it is difficult, where it is dangerous, where it, where it can mean where it can mean death to say, I will suffer as a Christian and I will do so and give, give glory, give glory to that name, Mm. to the name of Christ. Peter has had the end of all things in his mind throughout chapter four. He he talked in verse five about that, that Christ is ready to judge the living and the dead. He said in verse seven, the end of all things is at hand. And, And here again, in this text, he's got that end in mind. It seems that he, he turns a bit of a corner in verse 17. He says, it is, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. What, what's Peter talking about? Well, first of all, he uses the phrase a spiritual house in chapter 2, and, and this house built of living stones, marvelous language for those of us who live in South Texas where there are stones everywhere, and, and yet the church is built of living stones. I also, though, think of Ephesians chapter 2 about the household of God, the, the language, the metaphors that, that Paul uh, piles on top of each other in that section, I mean, the section of Ephesians 2. It is time. It is a kairos time. There's, there's two ways that Greek speaks of time. I'm sure others, others of your guests have, have shared this at different times. There's chronological, chronos time. We count time. We move through time. There's kairos. There's opportune their significant time as well it is time for judgment to begin uh, we do we do confess in in the creeds we do confess that he will come to judge the living and the dead there will be a final public open judgment of what our lord only can see now it is not the churches to decide and yet and yet we do see evidence of faith and we honor that and we rejoice and we rejoice in that judgment to begin with the household of God. So to begin with those, not not necessarily is there a higher standard, but there is a different standard. Clearly, it is who we are. It is those who have 
glorified God in the name of Christ. And so the judgment that we can always say this, and we always need to say this, the judgment that is upon us was taken by Christ at Golgotha. He was judged in our place, and he was declared to be uh, the righteous one, the righteous for the unrighteous, the one who knew no sin became sin for us. So many ways in which in which the letters of the New Testament express that good news of salvation that is ours. It begins with us, and and yes, we are those who bear that holy cross and and are and are called to faithfulness in our journey. What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God, who don't receive and believe the good news? I'll phrase it this way. Our suffering is a trial, a fiery trial back in verse 12, but their suffering is the verdict of rejecting this good news of salvation. And and that is not something the church says gladly, but we speak the truth of God's word. We, we must do so. It is why we are, we are bold and passionate to, to say to the world, here is, here is the Savior. Here is your Savior too. Here is the one who, who lived, who died, and who rose for you, that, that more would confess his name, that more would glorify God in, in that name of Christ. Hmm. Peter quotes from the Old Testament to make his point. We've seen him quote from the Old Testament. We've seen him allude to the Old Testament throughout this epistle. In verse 18, it looks like he's quoting from Proverbs chapter 11. He says, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? What's Peter doing with this Old Testament quote? Yes, it is from Proverbs 11. It seems to be if the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner. Uh, If the righteous is scarcely saved, I don't think that captures it quite the way, even in English, what we would hope for. Uh, I'll appeal to the New American Standard Version once more. If the righteous are saved with difficulty, meaning that that it is this great, challenging, difficult decision of the father giving, not only giving his son, but condemning his own son. And the son who is, as we sang not too many weeks ago in our Lenten hymn, stricken, smitten, and afflicted. Uh, The shepherd dies for sheep who love to wander. The master pays the debt his servants owe him. That, That he is judged in our place. This is how the righteous is saved with difficulty. And, and the godless ones, the, the sinners, we are all sinners and yet and yet declared saints in Christ and, and given the gift of, of being called Saint Timothy and Saint Mark in, in the waters, in the waters of baptism. This is this is his gift to us. This is his great gift to us. And yet once more, it calls the church to mission. It called the church then to mission, to be bold in, in testifying the name of Christ is speaking that name and not being ashamed to to come out of their imprisonment in Jerusalem and to just go right back to the temple and start over again and 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 say the same thing, the same good news to people who hadn't yet heard and and the Spirit hadn't yet quickened faith in their hearts. Although there is the numbers there too, I, I from three thousand to five thousand, it almost doubles from Pentecost in a very short time. So the God, the Holy Spirit, was doing great work in all of that. The the role of, of mission witness here in First in Peter has been brought out time and time again, particularly in these roles of, of suffering, thinking back to chapter three, you know, being being ready to speak that word to anyone who asks as they see, and again, the way that you suffer, they see how you receive this suffering, which 
seems so strange to them. And then even more strange that you would suffer without reviling to, to in, the, in the way that Jesus suffered. I mean, it's just, there's the opportunity so often to speak that word of witness in, in situations like this, as Peter himself was able to do. We've got about seven minutes here. I want to make sure we touch on the, the last verse and also have an, any more opportunity to reflect. Verse 19, Peter wraps this up saying, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. seems like he's really tying up everything with this one verse. While doing who suffer according to God's will mm. for, for the times that we all struggle and, and that Christians then and, and Christians over the centuries have struggled. How can suffering be God's will uh, that God allows, allows his people to be suffered for our testing for our purifying, we we didn't talk about that too much. That was language that yeah. that Peter used early on too. How how faith is is purified as as gold, as metals, precious metals are purified, but also for this wonderfully strange truth that it is for our rejoicing that that we would rejoice in in walking with in walking with Christ in His suffering and fellowshipping with His suffering and rejoicing because. It is for his glory and for glory that, that he will share with us, that, that we too in the resurrection will be raised to, to share body and soul with, with our Lord in eternal, in eternal glory. There's a, he says you will entrust their souls. This is a, a very nice, wonderful, it, it, the, the sense is to entrust for safekeeping uh, to someone, to someone who, who will uh, entrust something of value to one for safekeeping. It's the same word that Jesus speaks on the cross in his mm. in his final words when he cries out with a loud voice, "Father, into your hands I commit my spirit." And having said this, he breathed his last. Luke chapter twenty three, verse forty six. It's the same word to entrust their souls, the souls of of God's people, to a faithful Creator, to the one Creator. Provider, keeper, owner—all the first article ways that we can express that. But a faithful creator implies, and Peter will say this later on in his in his second letter. He will say this in a very wonderful way. According to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The faithful creator isn't done. He is, he is the faithful new creator. Yes, yes, we live in uh, the new creation, the eighth day, the Easter eighth day of the new creation. But there is this wonderful mystery of, of what God is yet to do in, in giving to his church the new heavens and the new earth. We do so while doing good. So, so we, have, we, have something, we have something that also, this is one of those other strange, it's the only time this word shows up in the New Testament. It is, it is a contrast between this evildoer word, this doer of bad things, to in, in doing good. And, and, what are, and what are the good things? What are the good things that we are doing? Well, I think, it, I think, it's, really quite, I think it's really quite simple. It's we are doing the good things of, of bearing the cross, we are doing the good things of of being faithful in our journey in our journey we are we are doing the good things of of 
honoring the name of Christ and proclaiming and proclaiming the name of Christ. It's, it's certainly much more than simply uh, being Boy Scouts and, and trying to do a, a good turn, a good turn every day. It is it is the people of God living out, living out who we are and honoring our Lord, giving him, giving him all the glory for what he has done for us. I can't help but hear, uh, you know, entrust their souls to a faithful creator. I, I can't help hear Luther echoing that in his morning and evening prayers. Into your hands, I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. This is, that's that's what Peter is, is saying here. You know, everything that we are and have, we entrust that to God, knowing that he is our faithful creator and the one who will recreate everything in that new heavens and new earth on the last day. Pastor Bars, about two and a half minutes here. Help us to wrap things up on this beautiful text this morning. Well, once more, I, I want to look at Peter's unique perspective. His, we've, we've talked about it already, but his own story of denying while facing the fiery trial when our Lord is on trial before the high priest and his, and his times of denying and, and yet of being restored and forgiven and given a role of, of great honor, of, of service to the body of Christ, to, to speak to the beloved, to speak to those given given to him to keep to care for the to care for the sheep to tend the sheep but that's our story too pastor apple that that's 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 our journey as well the times that that we have denied and under facing trial under fiery trial and and yet to be restored to be forgiven and so are we surprised are we surprised that that we suffer for the name of Christ well Peter says, don't be surprised. This is, this is what it means to, to live in Christ, to follow Christ. But don't be surprised that sharing in his sufferings is a reason for rejoicing. Now, now that's a surprise that we didn't expect at all. That's, that's a strange one. That's a very strange one. And yet there's more. Don't be surprised at a greater joy when our Lord's glory is revealed. Joy that begins in suffering will end in glory. Uh, we're just over four weeks away from Palm Sunday, and we heard a reading from Philippians chapter 2. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 of, of the one who humbled himself and became, and became a servant. But we also heard that reading close in this way. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That is what Peter is saying to the church. That is what he said to the church in the first century in the late 60s AD. It is what, by the Spirit's work, the Spirit of truth, is still being proclaimed by the church and through the church that the name of Christ, this name that is above every name. And so come, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God in his resurrection and ascension victory. Pastor Mark Bars serves at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, helping us this morning with 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. Pastor Bars, thanks for being our guest today. It has been my great privilege, Pastor Apple. Great to visit with you once more. 
I'm your host here on Sharp Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about 1 Peter chapter 4 or any of this, this epistle or 2 Peter or Jude coming up later in this series, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.